Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Yeah, I'm curious. You, you mentioned seller carry. How do you help them figure out what terms they should be doing? Like what questions do you ask? Yeah, so most people want to do like no money down and like no interest rate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, how do you make it fair for the seller uh, and obviously yeah, for and your it, client? And that's the only way you can do it is you have to make it a win-win. So like when we're talking to a seller, we're never pitching seller carry on the front end. Like we're really asking them like, what are your goals and what are you trying to accomplish? And then I know which deal structure will fit at that point. Mm. So it just it really depends on what they're looking for. Um, with an investor too, a lot of people they want a good deal. Of so it's walking them through like, what is a good deal to you? And a good deal to me, it could be a terrible deal to Jordan, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's really figuring out what is a good deal to them and why, and then, you know, taking it from there. Cause most people just don't have specific criteria, aren't thinking about fully. They just want to buy real estate, which is sick. Like that's a good way to start, but you have to think about like, are you investing for cash flow? Are you investing for like a value add? Welcome to episode 48 of the Realize Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I invest in multifamily and short-term rentals. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, mortgage lender based here in Portland, Oregon, and I'm licensed in about nine states. And I invest in single-family homes as well. And we, we had a super interesting episode today. Stephen, we, who did we interview? We interviewed Trevor Howard. He is a realtor with SMI Capital and a big-time investor. Yeah, and it's it's great because he's he's 27 years old and he already has just like a ton of experience under his belt. Uh, he talks a lot about creative financing. Oh yeah, yeah. So he talked about seller carry, combining uh, you know traditional financing with seller carry. Um, he's built up an amazing portfolio with partnerships. Talks about a lot of his experiences there. Yeah, uh, some good stories, some bad stories. <laughs> as totally. Yeah. yeah, he talked a little bit about wrap mortgages as well. So, if you're interested in creative financing, how to like get into deals with low money down, and just like the mentality, the mindset of structuring deals based off of the debt instead of based off location, this is a podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome to episode 48 of the Realize Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee. And we're super excited to have Trevor Howard on the on the um, episode today. Hey, Trevor, do you mind just like giving us a pick, quick background of, you know, how you got into the industry? Like, are you from, are you from the area and, and kind of your journey into real estate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how in-depth do you want me to go? I guess just... Pretty in-depth. Yeah, we want to okay. hear it all. All right, cut in whenever, but um, so I started as an engineer. I went to Oregon State, uh, grew up in Salem got a degree in mechanical engineering, mm. working the nine to five, knew nothing about engineering. Okay. Or nothing, not nothing about engineering. Did you say mechanical about, engineering? Yeah, yeah, okay. mechanical. Knew nothing about real estate to start. Right. Um, have you heard of FIRE? Like financial oh, mm -hmm. and pension yep. yep. Okay. Yeah, so I came across that just sitting at my desk, like listening to podcasts. It's like, oh, this is super cool. <clears throat> like you can do something other than work. Like, you know, stop working early. <laughs> yeah. um, never heard of it before. Um, 
was kind of listening to that. They were recommending finance books on there. Mm-hmm. Um, started reading some of them. Eventually came across Bigger Pockets. Oh, wow. Heard nice, about nice. investing in real estate. It was like, wow, this is crazy. And they're, you know, talking about big things, by doing all sorts of deal structures and all sorts of investment strategies. Mm-hmm. Right. Heard the episode on, like, house hacking. I was like, oh, that was something, like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, learned for, like, a year after that. Kept Wait, listening sorry, to what year was this? Sorry. Oh, this was, so I was, like, 22 years old at that point. And you graduated from 2018. OSU in 2018. Yeah, okay. so that Very was, recently. like, yeah, so that was, like, a year or two after that-ish. Okay. Um. So I was, yeah, 22-ish. I'm 27, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and you right got now. it. You got a job in your in mechanical and, engineering mm-hmm. right away, like no problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the cool part about engineering. Like once you get that degree, like it's super easy. You make decent money. I was making like like 52 grand-ish to start. And then okay. by the time I quit, maybe like 70. So it was like solid money for oh, wow, yeah. fresh out of college. Uh-huh. Um, but it just sucked. I mean, you're just sitting at a desk all day. <laughs> no, like, we've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but heard about real estate through that, um, started house hacking and it was like, and I was living frugally at that point, dude, I was living off like 12 grand a year, saving every penny I could, like making all my meals, doing that whole thing, like, yeah, yeah. following the fire movement, um, bought a house hack, was living for free at that point while making a couple hundred bucks. Oh, like right away? No. So I was learning, I listened for a year to bigger pockets. I listened to every oh. single episode. I mean, you were, you are living for free right away as soon as you bought the property. Oh yeah. yeah that you you bought like a single family yeah, and then so, just rented out the rooms. Yep. So when I was looking at those originally, it was like, you could buy a three bed home. It was in Gladstone. You could buy a three bed home for like 400 or I could buy like a five bed home for like 450. I was like, Oh, my payment's like whatever, 300, 500 bucks a month more, but I can rent out for 700 bucks a room. I was like, math checks out. Cool. Yeah. Um, did that, was living for free in it, maybe making a little bit on it. I think I was making a couple hundred bucks even yeah. on it. Um, and, like, and how hard was it for you mm-hmm. to like, I mean, I know on paper it's like, okay, yeah, you just buy a house, like get the room, get your roommates. How hard was oh. it for you to like stabilize getting roommates and, and, and doing that part? Yeah. So, I mean, I was shitting my pants, dude. The first <laughs> deal, like that was the smallest deal. Like right. I, and it only took 14 grand. I was shitting my pants. Like it was the scariest yeah. thing I've ever done. Um, but for that first one, I was already living with my friends who were all engineers. So I was like, Oh, so you, all, these were already yeah, built in okay. roommates. It was already all built renting in. together. Yep. Okay. We were all renting together. I was like, Hey, do you guys want to pay like a hundred bucks less each and like live in my house? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so I was like, that was my test run. I was like, this is sick. Kept learning about it. Um, and then I was like, okay, I don't know. Like, can I get other people to live here? I don't know. 10 months later, cause you have the 60 days to move in and whatnot. So I realized mm-hmm. I could buy a house in 10 months and then I had 60 days to move in and I still live in my one for the year. Right. Yeah. After reading all my loan docs, I was like, Oh, sick. Okay. Did Wait, that. say that again? Yeah, yeah. After reading all of your loan docs, you, you, you read <laughs> yeah, all I actually that. read the loan docs. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Especially the note. Like you said something very important there, um, which is, you know, you have to, you have to, you're supposed to move in and stay there and for 12 months, right? Yeah, you intend to. like intend to live there for 12 mm-hmm. months. But he actually read the deal and it's like, oh, well, I can buy a new one and, and in 60 days later. Yeah, so in, I was right? asking the lender, I was like, wait, does that mean I can buy one like early, like before the year? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so you bought one literally like 10, 10 months. months. 10 like, months, like, dude, yeah. like on the dot. Cause like that in bigger pockets, like the big thing that clicked with me, it's not about like timing the market, it's time in the market. Yeah. So it's like, okay, buy them as quick as possible and just wait. So I was like, Two months didn't really make a difference, but in my head, it was a long time. <laughs> so I mean, percentage of your lifetime, that's like... Yeah. <laughs> so this is like, what, 2019 Yeah, so? I think 2019 and then 2020 going okay. in there. Um, and then around, yeah, right around there. 
So, because I've been investing like in real estate, what is that? Only like four years now ish. Yeah. And you um, had all those rooms leased up. Yep. And did the lender, when they looked at that, were they okay using that lease as income or did you just yeah. have enough income to so, qualify for no, 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 no. I did yeah. not. I needed, because I was only making 52 grand. So right. it's like I had to have <clears throat> that income. So I showed them. I gave them all the leases, and I think they used all the individual leases. Are they gave them all, did they make you like show that you were getting the pay as well with your bank statement? I'm trying to remember. I don't know how in depth they went at this point. Okay, I can't but they're remember. cool. So either way, it they allowed worked. you to use the income. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just got to use the income from that, and then go to the next, and then that one was all fresh, like people I did not know filling mm. it, and I filled that thing in the first month. Like I didn't realize like how much demand there is for right away. Rooms. This is in Gladstone, Oregon. In so? Gladstone, Oregon, dude. So when I helped people like start house hacking, like I was. Like, no one had heard of Gladstone, even people yeah. that live in Portland. And they're like, who wants to live in Gladstone? And I was like... I mean, what are the attractions out there that are causing people to, you know, rent by the room out there? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, there's <laughs> like, it's near Portland. Um, I guess they, so. It's just like, people just need somewhere to live. And it's like, if you're going to go get an apartment in Gladstone, even it's like 1400 bucks for a two by one, probably like 1200 for a one. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, or you can rent this bedroom for 700 bucks. And, you know, I mean, obviously this being like your first house that you're leasing with brand new people, mm-hmm. how is... How is that experience compared to obviously living with your friends? Yeah, so it's different. I try to do it more professionally, have all the leases in place a lot better and have everything buttoned up. Yeah. Um, going through and actually like completing background checks and screening. So it's like taught me how to manage a property. And mm-hmm. I was just... So you don't get killed. Mm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> dude, but you still mess up. So like I had um, one dude who came and rented a room. He was a manager at Domino's. And I was like, sick. He's a manager, like super responsible. <laughs> Um, I was like, didn't run the background check just because I was being lazy. Yeah. Um, that dude ended up like punching a bunch of holes in doors and walls and just being insane. Mm. Um, so that was a big learning lesson because I probably could have just looked at his background right. and like, yeah, we're not going to rent here. Did you eventually um, look it up and find out? No, I never, I never did retroactively. <laughs> I, I just, he moved out at that point, filled it again, never I always made sure I background checked after that. Yeah, I mean, you had but, a security deposit, right, to make sure that... Yeah, I had, um, I think I, because what I did with him, I was like, hey, man, can you just leave and sign this agreement that you'll leave tomorrow? Like, because rather than evicting, it's different when you live in the house because you can, different oh, laws right. and yeah, regulations. Yeah, because you, it's your primary residence. But yeah. but yeah, we just signed an agreement that he would leave. And I was like, I'll just give you your deposit back. Like, just leave. Like, I did not want him, like, I was living there, you know, and yeah. other people were too. So I was just like, oh, needed sounds, him gone. Sounds stressful. Yeah, but it's totally worth it still. Like, you know I mean? like, when, when you do it long enough, that's the thing I realized. Like, you're going to run into situations like that yep. at any point. Any investor I talk to has stories like that. Yeah. It's I mean, just like, how do you handle it? Real estate never so. is perfect or nothing mm-hmm. ever goes hunky-dory. So. No, dude. We have, like, because we bought, I bought some shitty properties, too, now. And it's, like, we've had rough stuff going on, like, you know, property's about to be condemned and people still living there. And yeah. it's like, you deal with a lot of problems. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, if there's no risk, right. If there, if it was all easy, everyone would do it. Right. <laughs> sure. But you can mitigate the risk by like learning and you're, you're going to make mistakes no matter yeah. what yep. you do. And it's just like, how do you handle it past that? And you realize like, once you learn how to solve problems, it's just like, it's just something you deal with and solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. so then, so you, at this point you've got two and then what was your next move? Yeah. So at that point I got my broker's license cause people were asking me like, what's oh. this thing you're doing with your houses? Uh, oh, this? okay. So you, everyone's yeah. coming to you suddenly and you're like, yeah. well, maybe I should I monetize like, this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just like telling them like, yeah, you should house hack. Like, here's what you do. You buy a house. Like, here's how much money I make. Here's all this stuff. Like, oh, that's super cool. Cause mm-hmm. I was making like, I don't know, like 
twelve grand at that point because I bought a six bedroom home the next time. So I was just trying to maximize bedrooms. Oh, twelve grand on a minus your mortgages, right? Uh, no, no, no. So I was making twelve grand passive, like twelve to twenty grand passively for a year on both oh, houses. Oh, okay, okay. Both houses. Okay. Total for the year. And yeah, 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 yeah. So not like crazy, net, but, but really, really good. I mean, for not two that houses. much lower than your. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not mm-hmm. much lower than your engineering degree. Yeah, <laughs> like, like for two houses, and I spent like fourteen grand for the first, and then like fifteen to twenty for the yeah, second. compared to the amount of time and money you spent in your mm-hmm. degree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was living off at that point like. 12 grand a year too so i was like oh i'm financially free sick like, <laughs> <laughs> i mean top ramen isn't really living is I, it? <laughs> I know I didn't, I didn't know at that point but i was fresh out of college so like you know but it was cool because i actually covered all my like base level of living with yeah. two houses where mm-hmm. i was like gave me the freedom to quit engineering eventually and go full-time brokering because i was like worst case like fine right um but yeah uh what was your question sorry Oh, no, I was just wondering about that transition, too, when you went oh. as a broker, and then, uh, like, did you do that transition, like, right away? Like, I'm yeah. going to drop my engineering and no. go straight to real, real estate? So, I was told by, like, most people around, like, I didn't really have people in real estate around me, yeah. and they were like, that's a really bad idea, don't quit engineering. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone was telling me, don't do it. You're already financially free, but don't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, like, all the advice around me was, like, don't do it, don't do it. So, I, for a while, had my broker's license and did the engineering. Um, cause I was talking to a bunch of people about house hacking. I closed like three deals my first month with a license. I was Holy like, cow. yeah. So I was like, oh, this is super sick. I just made like half my engineering salary. I didn't close another deal for like eight months after that. Mm-hmm. So luckily I kept both and like yeah. learned how it, to be a broker kind of, mm-hmm. um, kind of picked it up from there, started doing better with it, kept investing myself, had both incomes. Yeah. And I did both those for like probably a year or two. I can't remember the exact date. And then at some point I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop engineering and full-time real estate. Um, Well, at that point, how many properties did you have until you... When I cut off, um, so I had bought those two houses, a fourplex, a 16 unit. So after the first two, you started going for multifamily. Yeah. So, so, and that's part of the thing that helped me was, um, well, actually I might've, I can't remember exactly. I might've quit engineering before I bought anything because what helped me so once I quit engineering I can no longer qualify in house hack right. yeah I exactly I was gonna so like that's serious. when I learned about like seller carries and partnering and creative finance because I was just like oh I can't buy any properties anymore <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not bankable anymore <laughs> yeah so I was like how do I, I want to buy properties so like this is cool um so then I started partnering with people on like their loans so they'd go partner with them and they would house hack we'd transfer title to like an LLC we both owned or like do it with a fourplex and that kind of thing. Yeah, so what did that, yeah. how did you structure those partnerships? Because I think a lot of our listeners are interested mm-hmm. in partnerships, but it's kind of scary, um, you know, like putting yourself on a legal document together yep. or, or trying to split it up. Yep. How, how did and you go about that? Yeah, it should be scary. So it's <laughs> like, it's been some of my best decisions and some of my worst decisions are partnerships. Um, and I mean, it's a learning experience again. So at the front end, it was just like people asking me, like, I want to buy something. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to do it alone. So I was like, we could do this. Like, you go buy it. We transfer titles to our LLC. Because I, I don't remember. I thought I invented, like, that's like subject to kind of, you know, okay. the idea of it. Have you heard of that? Uh-uh. Yeah, go, talk okay. about that. Um, have you heard about yeah, it? Yeah, I've heard it. But I think it would be good to explain to yeah. our audience. Yeah, so that's like Pace Morby on Bigger Pockets is like a big talks about that a lot it's the idea of your mortgage and title are two separate things and you can transfer title leave a mortgage in place oh right right you trigger the deal on sale clause right and the bank has the right to call the The loan at that point 
theoretically call the note. Exactly. Yeah. And that does happen. Like, mm-hmm. that is a risk with it. Um, I didn't know. I knew that at that time because I thought of this idea. I don't remember how. If I invented it. But then I went and talked to a attorney about it. He's like, dude, this is called rap. It's been happening for, I've done this for 30 years. Yeah, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And then he helped me actually structure it and do it. Okay. Was that first deal. And that was, so I started buying that fourplex with 3.5% <clears> down. My buddy went and bought it. I bought into the LLC with 50% on the back end. Okay. Okay. And then we owned it 50 50. So I owned a fourplex for. 1.7 right so more or less your buddy was the was the fha yep, buyer he could go and, buy it and then afterwards it, he pushed it into rent. an llc exactly and then went 50 50 on and it. you said it did not trigger the due on sales clause no so the due so like the bank never called it due okay but theoretically they, the they risk are allowed is, to yeah, yeah. Okay. they're allowed to what we should as advisors always tell our clients mm-hmm. is that if they're thinking about doing that strategy it Correct. Because that's what it says in the mortgage note. Yep, exactly. So you trigger the due on sale clause and it is a risk. Yeah. Uh, my attorney was like which, which means, what does the due on sale clause mean? So they have the right to call that loan due, meaning they give tell you your payment is due in full. The, entire the whole payment, balance, the entire which payment. means you either yes. refinance if you're financially mm-hmm. able, able to, to. or mm-hmm. sell if you're mm-hmm. able to. So it could be risky, like... For example, if the market had gone down and you lost sure. equity, or mm-hmm. if you're super leveraged in other ways, um, yeah, and they actually have to give you options to remedy it as well. Okay, so they give you the that. chance to like put it back. Yeah, and, and that's take it out of the LLC. Okay. So you transfer it back and then do like a lease option structure. And I believe when I was going through the loan docs, you might know better than me. I don't know if this is loan by loan, but I believe even with a lease option, you trigger the due on sale clause. But a lender would never know because you're not transferring title so it's like how do you even know you have to go record a memorandum and do all this stuff yeah i mean i think i think you're right in the sense that like you probably want to look at it from a more conservative conservative look but Mm -hmm. like like to your point though they do there are some point like they have to go through the mitigation process yeah so but there are risks but my attorney that I talked to, he had been doing it for so many years. He had done like hundreds and hundreds of them. Mm, so he like, was very comfortable with it, and he'd mm-hmm. seen both. He'd seen where the bank came after it, so he'd seen that actual process. Yes. So he gave me confidence in how to do it. And That's whatnot. nice. And he, we were, he's like, "Yes, you're good to do this. It's not legal. They do have the right to call it due. This is the scenario in which they would. Here you go." And you just you just had to avoid that specific scenario. And what is that scenario? Stop making payments usually. Oh. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, like if you think about it from the bank perspective, like if some Somebody, if you need money, you're gonna you're gonna look at you're gonna do an audit, right? And the first thing you're gonna go for, right, is the people that are more risky, who's the people mm-hmm. not making payments, right? I would think so. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so that was the idea of doing like a partnership like that. And you don't even have to like. So if you have a partnership, you don't necessarily have to transfer title. But if you're not on title, then you know, are you protected? And then there's all these other things like you can have operating right. If you have a divorce, then it's gonna be hard to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you got to have good paperwork for it, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was like one of the first deals I did outside of my license or outside of my um, income from engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was super cool just to get into leverage into a property and take advantage of that. Which, by the way, this is like pretty complex strategy, but at the same time, you can, like you said, you can figure it out. Oh, yeah. You, You can definitely do it. I mean... I don't, I don't remember. Like, I was just thinking because I was just sitting, like, obsessed with real estate at that point, listening to everything and, like, thinking of deal structures like that, learning about seller finance. Um, so I thought of that, called the lender, kind of asked him about it. He's like, yeah, you could do that. Here's some things. Call an attorney. Like, ask I him. invented this. <laughs> Dude, I, I literally thought I did. I literally thought I invented it until I talked to the attorney. And then he's like, 
just shaking his head at me. He's like, dude, this is called a wrap. It's a thing. (laughs) So uh, obviously with your partner who bought this as a, like you said, FHA, right? Mm -hmm. So they had to live in it. How did you structure? They just pay our LLC rent. Oh, they're paying the LLC rent. Okay. So he just lives in it for a year and then moves out, normal rental. Okay. No, that so, makes sense. I yeah, was going to say, how do, you, how do you figure out that balance with that person living there? So Yeah, because, I mean, and you can do discounts. So he, he, but that, this guy on. was thinking of it as investment. He wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about it as long-term home. He was like, no. oh, I'm just going to get in this deal, and that's going to be my first one. Yeah, because when I was starting out, too, like all my friends are engineers, so they have a decent enough salary, can qualify. <clears throat> they need somewhere to live anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, perfect. Like, yep. I just have to live here for a year, and if my job changes, I intend to live here, and I can move. Like, it's fine. Yeah. So I'm like, cool, I'll do that. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And how was that partnership? I mean, he had no experience, right? So like, yeah, and he had, um, he actually owned one other property uh, before that okay. that he got into, and he was house hacking it too. So okay. he had some experience, and he okay. understood. So he understood like the creative structures a little bit and all that. Um, that deal was super awesome. Went well. Um, what I realized with that partnership is like expectations on the front end. Like I knew properties have problems and could cost more money. Right. He he didn't know that as well. So we had to put like it was a pretty nominal amount of money in, like maybe like two grand each, three grand each, and I was just paying for everything. Yeah. And then at some point it was just kind of like okay, let's just break this off and end it. And we actually sold it on Korea Finance and wrapped it again to someone else. Oh really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah because we were just able to like get such a higher sales price where it made sense. And it was a win for the other person too because they got to take over our low interest rate debt. So, yeah, explain that process of how you kind of sold it to someone else and have them take it over. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we were selling it. We bought it for like, I don't know, like 600 for a fourplex. We sold it for like 750 nice. But we took seventy grand up front and then like an $80,000 note on the back end with a balloon on it. Okay. Um, why they wanted to do that is because we had like I don't know like three point seven five three and a quarter debt or something okay. some debt in the three so they're like mm-hmm. sweet that's way better than what we better can than do. the market mm-hmm. and on investment loan for them right they would have to bring in twenty five percent twenty twenty five percent okay so they got to leverage in also bring less than ten percent cash then create that note mm-hmm. which we collected I think we we're collecting like six percent on or something like that so okay. still a decent rate I think it was IO too with a balloon okay and then at some point they'll you know keep increasing rents go refi it right right yeah so they have they have time mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. if they need to sell it it's they still have time yeah yeah so for them it's no problem like that's win-win. a sick yeah. win-win we got like this higher price right because we were trying to sell it for this price no one would get it they hit the price for us mm-hmm and then, you know, we just took it in terms of a note. And did they approach you with that strategy or were you, is that part so of So that was another buddy who like, uh, I didn't know him super well, but he was just in the real estate space and he uh-huh. was like, I don't remember, I think I saw him at a meetup and he was just oh, yeah. talking to me. He's like, could I buy it like this? And I was like, yeah, that's sick. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but that's how I buy a lot of properties and it's like, it works. Like I see how it works, like why a seller would want to do it. Like, mm-hmm. cause I was the seller of that property. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you had done it first. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you said you had a 16 plex. Yeah. So that was, um, the next deal I did after the fourplex. Um, so where I write, I broker with SMI right now. Yeah. Um, my principal broker, Gabe, he was, he's like my mentor and partner on a lot of deals. He was one of the first people I met in real estate. Um, I was 22 going into banks, asking them how to get commercial loans. And I looked like younger than I do now, dude. I, like <laughs> I was like 16. So most of them would just kick just me like out. They just like laughing at you. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't talk to me. Um, but one guy was super cool. And he's like, 
answered all my questions because I'd read all the books and everything. So I, at this point, I realized like, oh, I knew more than most of those guys in mm-hmm. there actually. Yeah. So I could get the meeting. Then they looked at me like, you have no money. Right. You can't do this. Right. But one of the guys was super cool, sat down with me, answered all my questions, super nice guy. He connected me with Gabe um, down in Salem, and that's where I'm originally from. Went to lunch with him. I showed him like what I was doing, how I was trying to buy deals. Um, I was writing letters at that point too to like off-market deals to try to find them. Um, just because bigger pockets, like they're like, yeah, that's how you find deals. So I was like, okay, sure, yeah, like let's do it. Letters or get the machine to like mm-hmm. make it look handwritten. Yeah, 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 that's why I learned later on, dude. I was sitting there before engineering work, just like <laughs> spending out, like... 15 minutes of letter writing them all out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, so he just told I show him what I was doing. He's like, I was literally going on apartments.com to figure out what apartments there were for sale, mm-hmm. and he's like, just call a title company and they'll give you the list. Like, he gave me all these little tips, um, how to find a deal and do all this stuff. I already knew how to underwrite it just from my engineering background, like math, or I thought I did, which I kind of did. Mm-hmm. Um, just ran with his advice, got connected with a dude who owned a 16 unit and a few more deals actually just from those letters. Um, oh, so this was off market. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I found this 16 unit, um, put it under contract. How many letters do you think you wrote? I only wrote you... 100. <laughs> like, okay. Dude, that's it. So and how many hours do you think that was of your time spent? Uh, 15 minutes later, so like 20 hours, I guess. Oh, wow. But like, it took a while to write them. Like, I should have done it way smarter, like you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> but, pay, pay a company to do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I, at that point, too, I was living off, like, I was super cheap and frugal. But still, so, like, I mean, even so, minute. 20 hours for a 16 minute Oh, totally deal. worth oh, it. Yeah, 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 dude. If that was yeah. your only job, yeah, how many yeah. of those could you land a year, right? Yeah, yeah. No, totally worth it. Like, wouldn't do it different. But um, like, now you can do it more efficiently, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got connected with that dude and I was just like, told him like what I was doing. Like, hey, I just graduated from Oregon State. I really like real estate. I saw your property at this address and I would just love to talk to you about how you bought it. And I would, you know, love to buy something like this one day. Yeah. I talked to a few of the dudes. One of the guys was super cool. Went to lunch with him a few times and was like, man, like, I really want to buy this. Um, wrote him an offer. I had no clue how I was going to actually buy it. Yeah. Um, just started pitching it to people, just, basically. Just dude. slung it out there. Dude, dude, yeah, I mean, that's really what it was. Like, I convinced him that I knew enough people that would buy it with me that I could buy it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he believed me. I mean, that that was it. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And I thought and the, the real story of why it worked is it was a deal. So, like, I could actually underwrite it and see why it made yeah. sense on paper. I was like... I think someone would buy this. Like, I didn't know. You I'd knew never... you could sell that to other investors. I thought I could yeah. because I was like, if I had this money, I would definitely buy this. Right, like, right. Um, so I just went and talked to other investors at that point and eventually found people who came and partnered with me on it. Mm-hmm. We bought together. I owned like 8% of that first deal or something. Did you have to bring any money in yourself? So I brokered it because I had yeah. my license and just put that money back in. Oh, your commission just went straight in. I love it. So, <laughs> so yeah. it's just your commission, yeah. So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, here's 2.5%. You know? mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's where that came from. I realized on the front end, like I probably could have owned way more of the deal because I did all the work, you underwrote it, found it, did yeah. all this, raised all the money. But at that point, like I had no clue. I was like super sick just trying to do a deal and yeah, learned, sure learned a ton. I'm sure those investors were very thankful that you didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> th- yeah they definitely were. But but mm-hmm. also, I bet you've made some good friends and partners that way too, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. worth, is worth that whatever 5 or 10% Dude, that you lost so, out on. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing like I've learned from like my mentor Gabe is just giving more than you take. So like when I did that first deal, like 
they gave me like they made me put my whole broker fee in, did nothing. They actually took half my broker fee too. Oh, really? They were brokers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they were also brokers. They took half the broker fee, and so I owned less of it. Um, so when I um, met my buddy Dane, have you met Dane? Yeah. Yeah. So he came to me same way I went to Gabe. Basically, he owned no properties. I just showed him what I was doing. He just asked me. He went and found a ten-unit deal. Same exact story, basically. He brought it to us. We gave him. He pitched his broker fee. He would have owned like whatever five, ten percent. And we gave him twenty percent of the deal instead because mm. they're like, like let's do more deals. In right. The future. Like, yeah. Bring us, bring us the next one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which kind of led to like doing more deals together. Yeah. So like, and that's one thing I learned from Gabe. Like, I'd start doing deals with him, and he would give me a piece of a deal, and like. That I felt like I didn't deserve. The value was I was actually doing a bunch of work, like underwriting the deals and mm-hmm. saving him a bunch of time. Right. Which you picture now, but yeah. Huh. That's super smart. I love. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So now you're now you're moving on to sixteen plexes. Then what's and you're in the meantime you're also selling real estate, just like mm-hmm. regular stuff. Or are you only working with investors or a mix? No, I was doing a mix. Um, mostly people wanted to house hack because I didn't understand. I thought buying a house to live in was a really bad idea at that point, like, <laughs> which most realtors won't say. But I was saying like, yeah, just like house hacking is all that made sense. And for people of that demographic in my age class, like that's all that I really thought did. Right. Um, yeah, you didn't. You had. You don't know what it's like to have kids and. Like, yeah, have a, yeah. No, so now it's a different story. Exactly. Yeah. So now, now I understand a little better, yeah. like of why people. I was like, why do people? You should just rent. I'm doing the math. Right. Like, why does everybody have just a bunch of roommates? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't. I didn't get it, but. Um, yeah, so I, I actually transferred to SMI. I was with Keller Williams because it was just in uh, real estate right next to my engineering office. Mm-hmm. And I just walked in. And I was like, how do I get a license? Like, And they helped me through it, and they were super awesome, Like, mm. showed me the ropes. Um, but I transferred to SMI because um, when I first met with Gabe to when I bought that, too, like I never talked to him in between. It was just like a one-off meeting, just met a guy I didn't really know him. I called him back like eight months later because I bought it. I was like, hey, man, I just wanted to thank you like for your advice. He's like, let's go grab lunch again. And I showed him, like, what I was doing and all this stuff. He's like, you should come work at SMI. Once I got there, then I got to just start, you know, dive in and be around all these investors, start learning way more. Um, and then just there was more partnership opportunities there, too. So mm. that really helped scale me is most of my stuff is partners after that. Yeah. And that's like because I still didn't have the balance sheet right at that point or a huge income. But if you find a partner who does and you can go structure the deal, you can get in on a deal. Nice. So, and so SMI is only investor focused. Do they they don't do like regular first time home buyer? No, they do still. Okay. But it's just like it's more unique and like there's just investors flock to there because there's just people who invest there. So people who yeah, and they are expect invest, that yeah. probably all the brokers there are investors, right? Not all, but most. Yeah. yeah. Is, is SMI just, only in Salem or is it um, a bigger region than that? Yeah, um, the main office is down in Salem, and okay. that's like Albany. But, and then there's, I think they just opened a Portland office because now with the current market, like a bunch of brokerages are shutting down. So like more brokers are coming in. And Okay, interesting. Expanding. Yeah, the other thing I like about SMI is that they host a, um, a, a monthly investor. You guys host a monthly investor event. Yeah, so I hosted, I started that because we used to come so, up okay, here. So you started that. Yeah, yeah so I started that. Um, and then <coughs> SMI like sponsors and pays for it. Um, nice. Same with State Farm. So those guys sponsor and pay for it. But we used to come up here to like Mike Ness's like PDX Investor Lab. Right. Um, and there's a bunch of other meetups too. So we just had nothing in Salem. Yeah. And it's a great event too. There's probably, there's usually at least 50 people. Sometimes it seems like there's a hundred people 50 there. People, yeah. We get like 50 to a hundred typically. Yeah. And there's no, uh, what do you call it? Uh, fee to get in or it's just, free no, it's just free. Like we buy everyone food and drinks. Yeah. And, it's, it's, you know. it's a really great event. I have to pop in sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> 
Uh, yeah, and there's always like a deal board, and I feel like it's a good, great place to make connections. So. Mm-hmm. Would yeah, talk a little bit more about. Um, so you started this networking event, and how how many of your deals now are coming from, you know, people just like in your network and people that you've partnered with versus before you were writing letters. What, what how how much value do you put on kind of that networking world? Yeah, I mean, networking is huge, especially for partners. Um, and then, and then for the deals too. So now, like we have, our, like we have a separate company too. We call Vesta Solutions, mm. which is like helping people structure these deals creatively. So we come in and structure like deals for brokers who are trying to do creative structures, kind of. Okay. Um, whether it's like seller carry, land sales. So you contracts. kind of consult on that exactly for someone that's like their first time trying to get, or into even that like world. multiple, not even first time, like even people who have experience, just because we've done so many of them at this point. It's like oh, interesting. There's so many intricacies within them, and then it's like a lot of underwriting too. So we're like, or portfolio analysis and stuff like that. So you guys will like say like, no, this isn't a deal. Like you shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thing. we'll analyze it, give you a package on it of like why, like all your numbers on it, which is like a lot of people need help with. Um, and we'll do that for like syndications or just like a house hack or whatever. Oh, nice. Um, how do you wh- wh- how do you structure your fees for that? Yeah, so that's what we're working through right now because a lot of it's not brokering, so it's like a flat fee for some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all like pretty fresh because we realized we were spending all our time doing this and people really want us to do it. Right. And they wanted to pay us. Super for valuable, it. yeah. I mean, nobody yeah. wants to do their own analysis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would rather have somebody tell me something's a good, good deal so I can buy it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and, and then that, or it's like looking at the debt structure of someone's whole portfolio and seeing where their equity's at and what they can do to optimize it. So it's like we work with like a lot of new investors, but a lot of it is the experienced investors at this mm-hmm. point are taking them through 1031s and kind of doing all that. Um, so it's just like, yes, we'll broker the transaction, but a lot of time people that have brokers are still using us to like do all of this. Or they we realized they were just calling us and asking us and we were spending all our time doing this. And they were like, what does this cost? And we're like, oh. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, so it's still like we're still kind of on a case by case basis with uh-huh. the fee structure. So like we just sit down with someone, and figure out what they need, mm-hmm. and then kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, we're still because this is pretty fresh of us adding this like service to what we're doing. Got it. Got it. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. You, you mentioned seller carry, and I'm sure you have a lot of clients come in and ask, "Oh, I want to seller carry." Mm-hmm. Um, how do you help them figure out what terms they should be doing? Like, what questions do you ask uh, to get them what they what they want in terms of a seller carry deal? Yeah. So most people want to do like no money down and like no interest of rate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how do you make it fair for the seller? Uh, and obviously yeah, and the client. And that's the only way you can do it is you have to make it a win-win. So like when we're talking to a seller, we're never pitching seller carry on the front end. Like we're really asking them like, what are your goals and what are you trying to accomplish? And then I know which deal structure will fit at that point. Mm. Um, so it, it's hard to say because not one case fits all at all. Like some people like literally want no money and that's the best case for them because they just want that monthly income of a specific amount. Yeah, they want to spread out their capital Mm -hmm. gains. Uh Maybe people in their retirement, they don't want to pay all that. Yeah, and there's some people that, too, we've even talked to people who are like, I am not responsible with money at all. If you give me, like, money up front right now, I'm going to the casino tomorrow and I'm blowing it. Yeah. So they want it structured. They don't want it prepaid and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, And then other people are like, I need, you know, half this up front and whatnot. Um, So it just really depends on what they're looking for. Um, With an investor, too, a lot of people... They want a good deal. So it's walking them through, like, what is a good deal to you? And a good deal to me could be a terrible deal to Jordan, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's really figuring out what is a good deal to them and why, and then 
you know, taking it from there. Because most people just don't have specific criteria, aren't thinking about fully. They just want to buy real estate, which is sick. Like, that's a good way to start. But you have to think about, like, are you investing for cash flow? Are you investing for, like, a value add? Or I was going to mention, like, don't you have, like, I feel like a lot of new investors who listen to Bigger Pockets mm-hmm. walk in and ask, I want cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> how do you deal yeah. with that? Well, realistically, like, you're not going to get it, especially yeah. on, like, when you're house hacking or doing something, when you're house hacking, you still can today, even on 7% rates. Yeah. Like if you get enough bedrooms It's like, there. it seems like the only way actually to me mm-hmm. is so like rent out to see a rent out a bunch of rooms. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also not a bad deal if you can go get 97% leverage and you can break even or be slightly negative. Yeah. And you have a path to pat cash flow in the future because you're paying down that principal. So when you go spend 14 grand and your house goes up by 3% and you pay down like six grand year one of the loan. Yeah. Like your ROI is huge, even if you lost a hundred bucks a month, 200 bucks a month. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, I always tell people like, hey, these rates are gonna drop at some point, hopefully cross my fingers and refinance. Well, and your risk is just so much lower, right? Because you're putting in 14 grand instead of 120 or whatever. Yeah, and there's different ways to think about that risk, but yeah, sure. Um, and then with the rates, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, so it typically, like, I think about you have a couple of different options. So, I mean, rates stay the same. What do prices do? Are they going to go up? Then great, you bought it and your rate's there. Rents are can can you rise also. So, sure. like, I don't know. You can't predict all of that well enough. You can have a, like, I don't know. You would you guys might know better than me about I rates. Mean, I, don't I, don't prom- I mean, I don't promise anything. I say, hey, mm-hmm. when or if this opportunity happens, like, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also tell people at these interest rates, we're getting good price points. So, yeah, you know. it's easier to buy right now. Yeah. Yeah. If Also, if it doesn't happen, though, like, you may have a great rate for three years down the road. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, if rates keep going up, then mm-hmm. you bought it at a good time, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but you can still look at it in pencil and you can, people don't understand, like, you're getting to put such a little money down you're going to bleed for whatever, one to three years maybe, and you're going to be really happy you did that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're paying part of your mortgage, you're still mm-hmm. paying your principal down. Like, they need to realize that and the tax benefits and all yep. this other stuff. So, you know, like I said, I, I get those call, calls almost mm-hmm. every week about wanting cash flow. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> you know, at some point we'll get there. Yeah, go buy an eight-bedroom home, and then there you go, for the rent out by the room. Turn your backyard into a glamping space or mm-hmm. something, yeah. Yeah, and you can, you still can cash flow, though, on things, like, which is the oh, crazy part. Course, and people yeah. don't realize, like, especially with the multifamily stuff, like, you can go buy a duplex, little cash flow, but usually if you're getting it for the right price, it's under market rent, and you're going to have to go, you know, remove the yeah. tenants, renovate, and do that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. yeah, Or increase their rent over time, but... Which for most first-time investors, that's a little, that's a lot. It is a lot to ask of them, but mm-hmm. yeah. And it depends. You have to find the right person who wants. Like we tell them, like it's not just free money. Like you have to do work. Like right. this is what you're gonna have to do. If you don't want to do it, great. Yeah, like, there's deferred maintenance. Rents are low, etc. There's, mm-hmm. you know, like that's. I think those are the best opportunities. Yeah. If anything, you know, and you think about you're making these fixes. That's just going back into the equity of your house. Mm-hmm. You're fixing a problem that if you sold, you'd have to pay out to fix it at some point. So, sure. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad investment. So what other like new and interesting things are you looking at? I imagine you're still doing some of the same strategies you were doing before. But now mm-hmm. that you've been doing this a while, what do you what is your like sweet spot or what do, what do you like the most or what what's most exciting to you right now? For me personally, to yeah. Buy? Yeah. Um, I mean, seller carries and creative finance deals. So right now, like wrapping people's existing debt is like just such a good opportunity. Um, just because there's so many that are below market interest rate. Yeah. Like, dude, we just did a couple, like we, we bought a house, for example, for seven grand, I think it was. What? 
Wait, you bought it? Oh. Well, it cost us seven grand. It was like a okay. 300 something thousand dollar home. Okay. It cost us like seven grand out of pocket because we just paid the broker fee up to the other side. Mm-hmm. And these people bought their home 100% leveraged, had like a 3% rate. Um, VA loan or something. Yeah, I think they did like, they did something with down payment assistance. Oh, I think okay, conventional program, with down, sure, yeah, yeah, something like that. 100% leveraged. They didn't realize like they're gonna have to write like a $30,000 check to sell this house conventionally, which they did not have if they sold it for the price they listed it for. I see. But it was a perfect rental property. Like it cash flows like a couple hundred bucks a month. Like, so we go to them, you know, buy it, just pay their Man, broker that's fee. a really... That's really good. So, so explain that again. So, because you you're buying a home with someone that bought bought how many years ago? Probably within the last year or two. Yeah. Like so they put zero down, right? And mm-hmm. and in the last year or two, sales prices have depends on the market, right? Yeah, it so was down. Like, like it went in this know, particular yeah. place. It was down a little bit. So because of that, because of the fees from from the the broker, um, they were going to be net. They were going to have to come in with money to close. Exactly. Which they didn't have like. which uh, yeah i mean if they didn't have money then mm-hmm. they're probably not gonna have money now so so your solution which was a win-win for both of them mm-hmm. how did you guys figure that out uh calling a lot of people like so for that like it's me looking at the house seeing they have no equity in the home right so did you start with court. a list from a title company that was like hey give me all the i was just looking on the market on oh, that oh like, really okay market, yeah. yeah and did you see what their motivation was for leaving so uh, they were moving out of state, oh, so like okay. their job just changed, and they're going to a different state. Okay, which is most common, like, and they they were like, I don't want to lose money, pay to sell my house at this point. I don't think they realized that they were going to have to. Um, yeah, until we started asking them, like, well, we were asking their broker, and then they're like, oh. Like, how am I going to get paid? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> Sorry, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the case with the, a lot of brokers don't kind of mm-hmm. realize that right away, right? Yeah. And, like, again, like, for someone to sell and creative, like, distressed, you can really help. Like, it was a win-win. Like, we yeah, helped them totally. out. Like, they didn't have 20 grand to pay it. Like, you know, they're all good to go. It helps their credit. Like, you can catch someone up on payments, too. Mm-hmm. Rebuild their credit for them if you do like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also people not in distress situations, like myself when I sold my property, right? I just right. got higher dollar value. So, like, we'll sell quite a few of these to investors right now, too, where you're bringing, like, anywhere from 30 to 80 grand. You can go take over a 3% rate, buy a $400,000 home with, like, 40 grand down. Yep. Um, so, so, wait, but for the for the person that's selling now, what mm-hmm. about the whole part of their, their mortgage liability? How does that work out from them when they're going yeah. to apply for another mortgage? They actually bought another home right after. Oh, okay. um, I structured that one, and that's this was something I thought of um, to kind of work around that and to work around that. They were worried about the deal on sale clause. Yeah. So what I did is I did a lease option with the option to record the finish the wrap at any time. So it's technically just like a normal lease option. We have our lease. They can use 75% of that, which we just set at their mortgage rate. Okay. Oh, so you're home. like technically leasing to own the mm-hmm. property. Yeah, but we can go record our deed at any time. We have the option. I, to. I so, see. So from the lender's perspective, they're renting it to you. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. They can use the income that they're receiving mm-hmm. from you go to, to offset it. their mortgage. Yep. Brilliant. Exactly. But but technically, you can just buy it at any time from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the hard part of why I did that is I set the deed because you would know better than me. If I go buy, are you familiar with like land sales contracts? Um, not so, familiar enough. Okay, so like note and trust deed is like how most mortgages are done. Right. You have title of the bank. Yep. Um, land sales contract, if a seller sells to you, they stay on title. Mm-hmm. And you have like essence of ownership. You record a memorandum of mm-hmm. it. So you cloud title so they can't go 
you know, resell it and whatnot. Right. Um, it's a form of an owner carry. But if I take that to a bank, different lenders would view it differently because I'm not on title with me going and refining it. Right. Um, so why I did it this way is we could record the deed and take title at any time so I could go refi it or sell it easier or do whatever. Well, because right now, if you were to go, you would be a purchaser or refi for you. So, it, yeah, it's it, so I'd talk to you and you'd be yeah, like, I think, oh, shit. Like, I don't yeah, because you're <laughs> leasing to own it because I think it would be mm -hmm. a purchase, right? Because you're it's how you guys may consider yeah, it. Yeah, it depends but, on how the mm -hmm. specific bank looks at it, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's true because some of the banks that I broker to would look at that as a different, differently. Yeah, yeah, and it's a weird space because you'll talk to you know five different people with five different answers. <laughs> yeah. like, so. Well, because it's not the, the most common scenario, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, that's that's super smart. I can see how that's a great win-win scenario for both parties, mm -hmm. and a, and a super interesting, like in this specific market that we're in, that's a great strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it was common like when I talked to like younger brokers about it, like they have no clue, never heard of it. Right. Yeah. I talked to some of the older brokers, like they're super familiar with it, which yeah. is really cool. Like they're like, and then they give me more ideas on how to. Structure, structure these it. and do different right. things. There was yeah. no reason for us to be doing this when rates were dropped down yeah. when at 3.5% or 2% or whatever. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. Okay. So any so that's one good strategy. What else have you been seeing that people are creative that you know us normal investors wouldn't necessarily think about? Yeah, I like mixing bank financing with um, seller carries because a lot of time with the seller carrier, right? you come in and you want to give them very little down. Yeah. Seller needs a chunk of money to move on. So if you mix bank financing with a seller carry, you can get them the best of both where they defer some of their gain while also being able to get a ca like cash up front and then you can get a blended rate or the leverage point you're looking for. So you just find doing. them out how, like, how much are you looking for to cash out and then mm -hmm. you can seller finance the rest on whatever terms that make sense. For yeah. You. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that that's a really good way to go about it. Um, I really like that. Um, I mean, there's just so many options. Like, like, and typically between. the lender will just see that as like subordinate financing. Yeah, and there's a few different like there's so many different ways to structure that too. So like, you can do it on title, like just subordinate financing, mm -hmm. second deed of trust. Um, with Resi Space, you have to. They'll allow actually, which a lot of lenders don't know. They'll allow seconds at closing and right. let you do that. Yep. It just has to be within the normal loan guidelines. Yeah. Uh, so typically, I we do that with just like a first and set, like a piggyback HELOC, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But you can do it with the seller, which people don't realize. Same for commercial. Mm -hmm. You can also do private debt. So like someone can sign a promissory a, note with promissory you, not, note, not recorded yeah. to a title. There's different you know reasons why they would. Or I would feel not like do that, that happens a lot in like family situations. Yeah, maybe more so there. I haven't dealt with that exactly, but we'll we'll do that at times. Um, some lenders don't allow seconds, so you have to do different workarounds or have different plans with that. You can do partnerships where you leave them in the deal, actually, and they mm -hmm. stay on title with you. Um, yeah, there's just so many different ways to structure it. What it comes down to is really, like, what the seller's goal is and then how you meet that. Because, like, I don't care if I buy it on a lease option, land sales, or, like, any of that. I'm trying to, you know, buy an asset that makes sense and hold it over a long period of time. No, of course. So, like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm not on title. Like, I'm doing a lease option, so I don't get to depreciate it. That sucks. But I still got to leverage in and buy this, like, asset. Cool. I so, see. And then it's a win for them. Like, you really have to, like, think, like, make it a win for a seller for them right. to do it, though. Like, because you're not stealing anything Right, right. It's not like, about getting a deal, like, getting mm -hmm. a discount from the seller. It's more about, like, trying to win in your negotiations. It's more about finding a solution that works for both parties. Than, yeah. 
and really like you just wealth, have, yeah. yeah for them like it's the biggest thing of like why would they want to do it and what makes sense for them yeah and like that's really where you like have to go about it so when you talk to people it's like i could make any deal work for me like give me no interest rate like, right. yeah. <laughs> um so like when you start teaching people about this like oh yeah this would be a sick deal like get me a 1% interest only rate at like, I'm like, why would a seller do that? Right. Like, you know, I, like I maybe some ridiculous stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and some, some people would in some scenarios. So it's like, you know, it's like, yes, this does make sense in a specific scenario, but not for every single house. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I've seen the strategy. I had a client who always wanted to go way over on price, but like mm-hmm. just have ridiculously low payments. And I was mm-hmm. like, why would they take this? Yes. You're, you're trying mm-hmm. to wild them on the, on the front end and mm-hmm. then just, I mean, pardon my language, but shit on them, you know, yeah, with yeah. all the small payments you want to make. I said, I want to make a thousand dollar payment a month. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is an eight hundred thousand dollar house. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna go for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And there are there are times where that does make sense though, where people do want that crazy price and you can actually get the low terms. It's super rare, yeah. but it's like you're you're typically not just pitching it to them because then it's like go pitch every single person that deal and maybe you'll eventually find someone like just talk oh, to them sure. and figure out what they're actually trying to do and if you can help them yeah i think i was laughed at too many uh rooms on, doing, doing on, that. on those deals so yeah and that that's the part too when you start doing creative finance is like brokers and some of the brokers are kind of assholes too like as you've known like yeah just like, that's not real like I just just did it. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just did that. (laughs) Well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of brokers ask me like, how am I going to get paid on this? Mm -hmm. On seller carry, uh, you know, deals. That's, that was a big question when I first started doing it. I was like, I I don't know. (laughs) You know, I had to learn about that. And apparently you can get paid out on a monthly basis through title or how does that work? Yeah, you could do that too. Um, We've never structured that. Like we'll always like when we're wrapping and bringing no money, like we'll just pay the broker fee usually. Okay, just straight Um, up. Yeah, just because a lot of the time like on that deal, it was like seven grand. It's like, yeah, we just, we could have, I guess we could have negotiated with them and like we'll pay you 200 bucks a month or whatever. But it's like, we're trying to make like, we want the broker to sell us more deals. Like, yeah, you right. want to keep it easy for them, and especially mm-hmm. if they're not doing a ton of, you know, uh, seller carry deals. They just want to get their big check at the end. They're two and a half percent. Yeah, and it's like, yes, you could probably negotiate someone down and like beat them down and really do something. But it's like, okay, they're never going to do a deal with you again. I mean, like, back, back yeah. to your whole strategy of win-win for everyone. I, I think that makes sense to just meet where people want to be and find the right deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not try and fight for the, the, the deal that works for yeah, you. Yeah, which is sometimes a loss for us because we, we go out and we're like, okay, this is how we would buy it and people do want to negotiate. So we've kind of realized like, okay, if we got to give them like a few options and do negotiate a little bit because sometimes people just want to feel like they win and like oh yeah, yeah. do your price. So we're it's kind of like a thin line between those two. But yeah, you do have to make it a win for them. Right, right. Makes sense. So you're tw- what? You said you're 27. You've already, 27, yeah. you've already built out nice portfolio you, you've got your real estate business going you've got consulting business coming up what what is your kind of like what do you see yourself being in the next five years what is your plan are you going to keep pushing after deals or are you gonna yeah i mean buying more deals like that's my favorite part is just structuring deals especially creative structures um so just investing more with this like um consulting business do you have you heard of eos mm-hmm. That sounds really familiar. I, is that Brandon Turner's talked about it? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's where I first heard about it. Um, and my buddy, um, I have buddies who run it. And it's just the way of structuring a business more systematically mm-hmm. and like thinking through it. Um, us using that has been like a huge help with this consulting and our brokering. And we, we're trying to learn how to really use systems and then apply it to our investments and grow there after we like 
have systems down, know how to like hire employees and do all that. Mm. Um, so that's my goal. And then just applying it to investing because like investments, I love just structuring deals and doing deals and investing. Isn't there a specific book that talks about EOS? Traction. Traction. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah. I have that sitting on my nightstand. I haven't read it yet. So. Yeah, I, would, I would highly recommend <laughs> yeah. it. So like I'm, um, I did that because my girlfriend took their business like within like five months with no like business background like and just amplified it greatly by using eos and i saw my buddy do it as well i was like oh maybe i should read this and i read it i was like oh this makes a lot of sense so i read again took all the notes and we actually like applied everything the book said Mm -hmm. and like now we have you know actual we were using like cell spreadsheets like just all over the place and now it's all like defined and every quarter we have new goals and like we're tracking towards them have all our metrics we're tracking and it's way more organized and you actually have a vision and like a path to reach it. And are you planning on like keeping moving up into larger buildings over time or do you still like the, oh. the small medium stuff? So right now I'm buying stuff that's like the biggest thing I own is 32 units. Um, but I'd still buy houses right now if it makes yeah. sense. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> this 32 units is it, are they all in Oregon? Yeah, so I own about I think I think I'm under 100 units now cuz I sold a thing or had uh, we can talk about partnerships again, but I had sure. some bad partnerships. Um, so I think I'm at like 90 something right now. Okay. Um, and that's mixed between like multifamily and houses. Um, and that's from Portland down to Albany. Okay. Um, but I would buy most of Oregon as long as I can get management there. Right. Right. So, and what percentage of that portfolio do you own outright? Yeah. So no, it's partnership? All, all partners. So I own probably like 40 to 50 percent of that most of my partnerships are like 50 50 and then okay. some like i did like a few like that eight percent deal on a 16 unit and then mm-hmm. some i own a hundred percent so mm-hmm. roughly around that like 40 to 50 percent range yeah but. okay so you talked you mentioned some bad partnerships let's talk about some of the pitfalls like yeah some of the yeah. deals that have gone poorly because <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean it's easy to talk about the things that went well oh, sure, but sure. Yeah, yeah we love hearing about stories that where it didn't go as well mm-hmm. dude so i lost like 150 to 200 grand on one deal. Wow. Yeah. 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 And this was like a $500,000 deal too. And I own 25% of this deal. Yeah. So in this partnership, these guys sold me on like, they had been doing all these flips and all this stuff successfully. Mm -hmm. They were, we were good friends too. Friends. Still, still friends with some of them. Right. Um, But they were just pitching on me and they made all this money and whatnot. So we were going to go into this partnership. It was going to be great. I realized like, I didn't know anything about construction at that point and mm-hmm. redeveloping a project. So they just told me the numbers. I underwrote it based on like those Their numbers. numbers. Right, yeah. Right. Um, was this prior to wood going up? Was it this time? So this was not, um, oh, it, it was, um, this was early on. And this is unfolded like for, it's still unfolded. Oh, yeah. even. Like dude, this has been like multiple years <laughs> yeah, yeah. dealing with this. Um, but yeah, that was probably part of it, but that, that wasn't the main that reason. Even. Yeah. No, dude, it was like, it was supposed to be like a $200,000 budget and it cost like 400 plus. On a $500,000 house? A, and yeah, it was, so it was an office space that we were uh, converting to an Airbnb, four unit Airbnb. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. So there was more permitting involved and all this other yeah. stuff. I had no clue about it at that time because I was pretty fresh. I was just like, had good partnerships beforehand. So I was like, partnering is great. At Let's this do point, it. you hadn't done like the development mm-hmm. side, right? Okay. Nope, hadn't touched it. Um, they convinced me like they knew what they were doing. They had a contractor buddy right. who was doing it too. He didn't really know he was doing it, turned out. Um, but I was funding the whole thing because uh, they, oh. yeah, so they, they were like, we don't have any money. And I was like, 
you'll pay me back, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you get that in writing? That's what you got to learn, dude. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I did not properly get that in writing. Right. Um, we should have, like, we had an operating agreement. We should have followed the operating agreement, but we were friends, and yeah. I trusted they'd pay me back. I even bought one of the dudes a truck when right. he was out of money. Wow. And he was like, I'll get you back in, like, a month or two. It's been, like, a year and a half. Um, so that money's gone. <laughs> but that was the same partner on this whole deal. Um, I'm still crossing my fingers I get some money back from right. it. Like, yeah. But I don't know. Um, so where did most of this budget go? Was it like permits were super expensive? Or the, your contractor had no idea what he was doing? Or? So eventually I went through and, like, I should have done it way, like, sooner. But, like, I was just trusting, like, I couldn't picture because all my other partnerships, like everyone's helping each other out doing yeah. this thing. So I couldn't picture like how it would go wrong. I was young and naive at that point. Um, so it went to just wasting money on whatever, not tracking anything within the project, like literally not tracking anything. I go through and I audit all the books and they're telling me how much they have left to finish. And I'm like, holy crap, like these numbers are not adding up. Like nothing's working uh, out. taking some materials for other projects? Or I, don't, I don't think so. Um, they I just didn't. They undersold what they knew needed to be done. Yeah, yeah. And did, we did not do proper due diligence on the front end, too. And this is on me. Like, I should have stepped in, too, and, like, actually vetted and thought of it more. So this is, like, my fault for mm-hmm. most of it, too. Um, but my mistake was funding, like, all of it. Like, and then eventually I actually got removed from the debt because it was going downhill. Mm. Um and then left my money in it. And then I'm hoping it gets finished and I get some back type of thing. Right, right. Um We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so what? where is the stage at now? It's like... Still in progress. Uh, we don't touch base much with yeah. them because it's just a mess. And like, yeah, just learning about people's personalities. And, is yeah. it getting closer to being a four-unit Airbnb? <laughs> Do you have any idea? Uh, I think they converted to... They ended up doing to something else. I'm not sure even. Oh, like, geez. Yeah, like we. T- I don't touch base with the dude anymore yeah. at all just yeah. from that. I mean, that's how you ruined friendships and mm-hmm. partnerships like it's like all right never work with you again yeah you know? but, but the big got a truck out of it <laughs> oh he got a truck out of it yeah right well and and all my other money too what else yeah, yeah. Uh, so and, and but but you did learn some valuable lessons from that dude i learned about like jumping in you i want to see someone like because i would still recommend partnering even after oh, that yeah. it's buttoning it up and making expectations set on the front end and then making sure who your partners are i realized like the personality type that was overconfident in doing the deals and couldn't think of the downsides like that was the ones to avoid so my mentor gabe um he was flipping houses and he'll share the story about how he lost like 2.1 million dollars flipping houses yeah i think he told that he, story at, at the at the meetup at your meetup mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he was telling me like he could see he could see it. he's like you're gonna lose a bunch of money because of these personality types in the deal mm. um i was like no man like we'll be good it's gonna go well he told me not to do it i did it anyway <laughs> and i was like i should have just listened <laughs> yeah okay mm. any other interesting like mistakes or pitfalls that you ran into um construction has been the biggest thing just not knowing and then yeah, that's been the biggest thing. It's just it's just making sure you're you're aligning those budgets better. Because I have buddies who do really well at it too, mm-hmm. and like actually do that. So if you don't know it, find someone who actually does oh, is yeah. a thing. Right. Like not someone who thinks they does. Like someone who's done a project can show you what method they use, how they track things, and do all that. So since like construction and redevelopment isn't necessarily your main squeeze mm-hmm. if you're going to partner on something like that you're going to partner with someone that has a ton of experience doing it yeah or or some at least yeah. <laughs> but um i could i could do it way better now just knowing what i know so right. like i could go because i was doing like project management stuff and engineering so i mm-hmm. like 
if I would have stepped in earlier on that project, I probably could have done it actually okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like managing now and just learning how to, you know, go get multiple bids, like basic stuff that mm -hmm. you just have to do. Like that's really the main thing. Cause like on where I messed up on a few projects was just like, um, it just costs more. Like they're still good deals. It just went over budget slightly. Right. So that's been the other like downfall with them, but they're deals I would still do in like any day of the week. I mean, I'd say that these mistakes are what I call tuition. Yeah, you, know? mm -hmm. <laughs> you learned it once. Don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you mentioned fire at the beginning. Where would you say you are? You're at with your fire journey. Are you planning on firing? Oh in no, terms no, of no, no, no. Being financially independent, retiring early. No, so doing deals and like running business and doing all that stuff is just like so much fun. Especially like you guys get to meet like so many cool people. Probably doing this and like you can kind of do whatever you want. Like you just get to, the cool part is structuring whatever you're trying to build and then going down that path. So I would say no, like in the most people, like most people in fire, like they talk about anyone who can actually retire early doesn't end up doing it. Cause yeah, like, get bored. yeah. What are you going to do? Like, mm -hmm. Watch YouTube all day? Dude. And I did for like, <laughs> for a period there, I took like six months off and it was just messing around playing basketball every day, like, <laughs> doing nothing. Wait, um, don't you still play basketball every day? No, 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 no. Not in the middle of the day at noon. No. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's only at like 530 in the morning. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So it's more reasonable. Uh, but I was like, yeah. So I took a break there for a while and then I was just like, yeah, having the structure and like building something is way better. Oh yeah. Way more fun. And so, but you're technically, if you wanted to, you could fire at this point. Yeah. But I also take on, so like with my personal investments, I stopped going for cash flow. I started going for like leverage plays and equity growth, mm -hmm. yeah. which takes on more financial stress. So I took a step back, back in terms of fire and then upgrade my lifestyle also yeah. to where I actually need to make money to support investments and pay for projects mm. and do things. Um, but that's with like the bigger picture of like, I'm doing value add plays and things. So like yeah. I could go backwards. Um, but I don't think of it in those terms anymore. It's more so like, okay, we're trying to like increase the balance sheet and do all these value add plays now mm -hmm. rather than like cash flow. Cash flow is great to like create the opportunity to go do all these things. But like you have to cash flow a lot, like depending on what kind of lifestyle you want to live. And that takes a while. You you seems like you've invested up and down the I five corridor a little mm -hmm. bit. Do you have a favorite like nook that you like or that you've been most successful with, or do you just like no. them all? No, so yeah, I like them all, not all, but like I invest in like most areas. But because what I'm doing is I'm structuring debt packages typically mm -hmm. when I'm buying a deal. So it's like wherever that opportunity comes and it makes sense, I will do if I can get management there. So um, location, location, location is is, is and for you it's wrong. more debt, debt, debt. Right? Yeah, it depends on the it depends on the project too. So like, I mean, I might not go to some areas. Like, if I can get management there and it makes sense as a long term debt like play, like why would I not do it? Is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I could be wrong. We'll see in the future. But like, people invest. The cool part about real estate is people invest with all sorts of strategies, mm -hmm. all markets, all across the nation. So like some people only invest in like markets under 10,000 people, they're crappy areas and they still make money. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you were to, you know, talk with a first time investor who was thinking about mm -hmm. getting their feet wet, what would you, what would you recommend on how to start or, or, you know, how to get going on their first, first one? Yeah, it's kind of narrowing down what you can actually buy. So for people starting out, it's actually a lot easier because mm -hmm. typically you have no money um, and no knowledge, right. um, but you have a ton of time. So it's like most people, it's like house hacking or go buy a house, live in it for a year, move to the next, or use like a 203K loan, fix it up, do mm -hmm. that thing. Um, 
So for newer investors, it's really just figuring out which one or two strategies you can do and then find the opportunity that fits. Once you start learning all this information like, and you have a ton of doors, it actually gets harder because you start getting like shiny object syndrome and trying to do all of it at once. Yeah. Right. So like that's where I got kind of ran into and what we're working on now is like we learned how to structure so many deals where we waste so much time looking at deals that are like, why are we even looking at this? Like just, you know, it's a waste of time. Mm. Like focus on what you actually want to buy and then go down that. Find your box and then just Mm -hmm. keep hitting it. Yeah. And then once you do that for a while, you can, you know, go expand and go from there. But for new investors, it's pretty pretty easy honestly oh like, yeah go get go so either if you can qualify for a loan you know go buy that house do a house hack live and flip that type of thing or if you can't get a co-signer if you can't do that find someone who will partner with you mm. and what would you think what what is the littlest amount you've seen someone do with like a partnership or something littlest amount of money Price yeah zero. Like lowest amount zero percent zero down dude i have a buddy on the east coast who got paid 10 grand to buy a house but <laughs> he got paid 10 grand to buy a house he structured the whole thing basically and he got a cut and so no <laughs> so he, yeah, let's hear this. well yeah he structured it all but it was a creative deal like they would have had to write a check again to sell okay. the home oh back back to the yeah so he negotiated they pay him 10 grand to take over the home that cash flows oh Nice. Yeah. So, so we got paid to buy it. Amazing. Yeah. People are going to hear this and they're going to ask me for that deal. You know? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. And he has all those deals available for you. So keep calling him for it. Oh. <laughs> we'll see about that. I'm trying to waste my time. <laughs> well, oh, I was going to say, well, if people are looking to uh, get a hold of you or get in contact with you on social media, how can they find mm-hmm. you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at how underscore five maybe just how five um, we'll link it you yeah. can like trevor howard you'll probably find me there um you can check us out on like vesta solutions.net we have our emails and contact info on there um and yeah we will meet with anyone we love to pay it forward kind of give yeah, people all those people that you just <laughs> yeah, <pass them> back. <laughs> except for those people you got that <laughs> yeah. oh man well thank you so much trevor we really appreciate it yeah yeah okay thanks trevor Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.